0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Spark Leadership. I'm Wendy of Maledu, a senior behavioral scientist at Up and the host of the show. For everyone joining us for the first time, this podcast brings the best of science and evidence to learning, development, behavioral change and well-being. I'll be joined by psychologists, entrepreneurs, HR professionals and thought leaders in coaching, leadership and behavioral change to discuss, share insights and predictions on different HR and organizational behavior topics. I am so happy you're tuning in to the show because my guest today is someone very, very special. Someone I have deep respect for. He is someone I got to know through a friend, and every second line she would be like, "My mentor said this and challenged me to do that." And I would be like, "Who is this mentor of yours?" Well, I am overjoyed to share with you my conversation with Terence Taylor. He was born in Sierra Leone, but grew up in Maryland. He started his career on Wall Street in finance, was a VP at Citibank and launched the risk analysis unit for Citibank Indonesia and ended his finance journey on a high note by serving as CFO for an internet startup, Africa.com in 2001. In the past 20 years, he has created and built impactful leadership development programs across leadership pipelines. He now works at Google as the regional talent and organizational development consultant for the Americas at Google. There is so much to learn from the wisdom that Terence has shared with me. One of the questions he posed was, where is the voice of those we are leading? He also shared some insights of African leadership and the role of elders and the queen mother that mirrors the role of a coach. And so I want to jump straight into it. A warm, warm welcome to the show, Terrence.
1: Thank you, Wendy. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be on with you. And thank you to my mentee, my unnamed mentee, for... (laughs) saying such nice things about me. I'm sure you know who
0: the mentee is. I definitely know.
1: And I'm sure once she hears this, she'll know who she is as well. I know, I know.
0: So one of the standing features of the show is that our guests will share interesting facts about themselves. So we'd like to get to know a bit about you. Um, At the beginning and at the end of the show, would like you to do some future predictions around the topic that we'll be talking about today. So um, do you mind to share with our audience one interesting fact about yourself?
1: Yes. So a fun fact about me is that I ran a ultra marathon that you are familiar with in South Africa called the Comrades Marathon and completed it in 2014. And this is uh, after only running up to two miles um, competitively. So I was very proud of myself to be able to complete over 55 miles in 10 hours, 40 minutes and 41 seconds.
0: Oh, wow. You are my hero. (laughs) <laughs> congratulations on that We're thank still you aspiring some of us uh, but uh, the bar is set, it can so. be done it can be done <laughs> anything is possible awesome. yes thank you so much for sharing what a good way to start the show let's keep going on that high note so um terence i mean from your profile you've built leadership development programs for many big organizations Let's start with basics. What is your definition of leadership? How would you define leadership from Terence's book?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to borrow from Professor John Carter from the Harvard Business School, who has written very many seminal articles about leaders and leadership and management and change management. And his definition of leaders is that leaders are those members of the organization who provide purpose for others. And they help to set agendas that guide people and focus their energy and attention on what to achieve. Secondly, that leaders are those folks who are very good at motivating people to strive and to achieve and to dare and to dream and to do more. And finally, leaders are those folks who, they, who we look to when change and transformation are required of our organizations and our teams, because they're very skilled at the art and the science of change, management and transformation. So that's how I define leadership.
0: Awesome. I like all those key words there. I love the word purpose. Ah, It just resonates with me when you say it's about how leaders provide purpose for others. The second one, motivating people to strive, that sense of inspiring people to get to work towards something. And the whole notion of change and transformation as is we're going through a whole lot of change with the epidemic and truth be told, then we need leadership. I think this is a point where leaders must thrive and leaders must, um, must come out. So thank you for that definition, um, uh, Terrence. So let's take it a notch higher then and really talk about the whole notion of American leadership and African leadership. So, From your experience, you are based in the U.S., you've been in Africa, you are from Africa. What do you think then is the difference between American leadership and African leadership?
1: At the risk of sounding stereotypical, I think one key difference is American leadership tends to focus on individual excellence and individuals whereas African leadership tends to focus much more on the community or the group. And I've had the privilege of studying African leadership when I started my doctorate of business administration at the Gordon Institute of Business Science back in 2013. And here I have a few things that I think are instructive about African leadership, and then I can come back to American leadership. So African leadership at its best really has a system of checks and balances because the wisdom of Africans is that a leader, once you give that person power, will tend to want to utilize that power and sometimes abuse that power. So whether the leader is a chief, male or female, a king or a queen, the expectation is that that leader is likely to try to use power in a very strong way, and sometimes tend towards abusive ways. So then a system of checks and balances are needed around the leader. So institutionally, there are roles that are set up to check the leader's power and to also advise the leader. So three checks on the leader come from one, this notion of a council of elders. And in this council, the leader is expected to find advice, but also restraint. Second, there's normally a ceremonial role of what would be known as the queen mother or the chief's mother. And whether this is the biological mother of the chief or the king or the queen for that matter, this person is expected to be very close to the leader and to be able to tell the leader very unpalatable things to check the leader's excesses. And then third, the endaba or the notion of the community itself and the voice of the community. So meetings, decisions that need, that impact the community normally need to um, be preceded by a consultation with the community. And during these endabas, you have a chance as a member of the community to also voice your thoughts and your views on things. So those are the three Um, very clear checks on the leader's power. But another aspect of African leadership is succession. In African leadership, we have the notion that when a king, a queen, or a chief has reached his or her sell-by date, if I use an American expression, meaning that they're at the stage where it will be better for the community to have a new leader, there are very specific rituals and procedures and processes to replace the leader. And all of this is already pre-worked out. And in the worst case scenario, if the leader has come to a state where he or she is completely despotic and refuses to go, it used to be the case that in some situations and in some communities, there were even plans of how the community themselves could take that leader out of power. So that's African leadership in a nutshell. And I do see elements of this, and I have experienced elements of this in my time on the continent, whether that was living and working in South Africa or living and working in Lomé, Togo. I'm originally from Sierra Leone. My beautiful wife, Winnie, is from Kenya. We've spent some time in Kenya. So in, in each of these countries, I've seen elements of this.
0: just enjoying the rich, rich knowledge that you're sharing with us about African leadership. And truth be told, uh, Terence, I think this these are some of the nuggets that are hidden that we don't even know about. And for me, this conversation is very critical to actually unearth some of the richness that is in Africa, especially around values and norms that makes leadership. I mean, you've already identified key things here around the check of power, the role of a queen mother. Um, and I also love the whole notion of the Indabas, you know, community coming together. I mean, this is what we called it, the lechotlas, right? When the chiefs and men will sit around in circle, in a circle, and I hear Nelson Mandela also used to do that in his driveway and call on the leadership cabinet and put them around a circle to create this environment of Indaba, of lechotla uh, for them to discuss issues. So these are rich, rich, rich um, African stories and African narratives that we don't even talk about. So from what you've already said there, my next question really here is what are those key values that we can borrow from Africa that can contribute to trained leaders?
1: Yeah, this is such an important question. For me, one of the first values that we can borrow is this notion of user centered leadership. In big tech, at Google for example, we talk a lot about user centered design. I think it's a transferable concept. If we're going to lead people, one of the key values we can take from African leaders is where is the voice of the governed or where is the voice of those who we're leading? And how do we ensure that we have ongoing interactions and conversations with them to understand what is it that they require of us as leaders? You mentioned Nelson Mandela. One of the key things that he taught leaders around the world was this notion of leading from behind where as opposed to the American style of leadership where we tend to have this view of the hero leader who's always in front his leadership style was more so of be in the background and make sure that the situations and the context was set up for others to emerge as leaders and to be there to support them as they led so that's a second value we can take is if you think about the users or your people, your employees, your team, how can you also create contexts and situations where their leadership or other leaders within the team can emerge? The third value that I think we can take from African leadership is this notion of collective leadership. In fact, when I think of leadership development, In my mind, I make a clear distinction between leader development, which is all about the individual and how we can prepare him or her for the role of leadership and support him or her to scale their leadership where required or to be more effective leaders and leadership, which is about the collective responsibility of those members who are identified as leaders of a team or an organization. I think that there is a clear distinction and African leadership gets this right. The whole notion of the collective and how we as the collective can provide guidance and support and ensure that those users, if I use the word from tech, or those people who we are responsible for leading are able to achieve better outcomes. Uh, Those are the values that I think African leadership can help us with. And if we now start to think about how we use these values to better design training, I think it gives us very powerful and innovative ways that we can go. So I'm in the business of leadership development. I've been in this space for over 20 years. And it, it fascinates me to see how we continue to call it leadership development when most of what we focus on is leader development. I think there's a huge opportunity, untapped at this stage, for us to lean much more into how do we develop leadership teams. Even if we come to executive coaching, for example, we tend to focus on the individual. If we understand the power of the collective, we could begin to invest more in group coaching or leadership team coaching.
0: I love that you've just introduced a very interesting concept, uh, which I really love, the user-centered leadership, right? Um, I think, you know, as you've already said, that you also already talked about user-centered design of your products, even at Google. I mean, I think that's another piece of the puzzle that we probably have missed, but also marrying that with collective leadership that's an interesting dynamic that you've already introduced there so let's take the conversation further terence around how then can these values contribute to leadership development models because all the models are coming you know from other areas except from africa so if you had to design a model of leadership what would that look like
1: yeah so i, I would go back to that initial discussion we just had about African leadership, I would base the model on that. So the first thing is I would want to make sure that in our model of leadership development, we spend time practically helping leaders to understand the pool of power and how power can lead to autocratic behavior and really self-interested behavior, which flies in the face or is completely contra to what we want leaders to be focused on, which is the users, if we come back to user-centered leadership, or the collective. I think my model of African leadership that could help organizations that want to invest in in, in developing leaders this way is looking more at the, the shadow, the dark side of leadership. I do think that most organizations tend not to focus on that. Right. It's much better to think about the positives of what leaders can bring. But I would want to spend time helping leaders to understand how easy it is to fall on the other side of abusing your power as opposed to using your power for the benefit of your organization and your team. So that's one. Second, I think the model of leadership development that African leadership can help us with is this notion of checks and balances in our organizations, I wanna make a controversial point. I believe that African leadership was set up for success on the continent until the experience of colonialism. Why? Because colonialism brought this notion of a governor to many African colonies, a governor that was imposed from the colonial masters in Europe and a governor who had more or less ultimate power, the checks and balances were actually taken away. And in our organizations, I don't think this is intentional, but the way organizations tend to run is once you get into the C-suite, for example, or once you get into a more senior level role that gives you the title of vice president, for example, or even director, you also tend to begin to have unchecked power. And I think it'd be really important for us to study how can we use this notion of checks and balances and collective leadership to put more checks on the power of senior leaders in organizations. And then the third aspect, finally coming back to this notion of leadership as a collective responsibility, I would invest much more time and resources in helping leadership teams to understand how they can own that collective responsibility and how they can exercise it always keeping in mind the voice of those who they're leading and always keeping in mind that for the ultimate success of any enterprise you need to ensure that those who are participating in the enterprise and who are driving the projects towards the goals of the enterprise and towards getting the results of the enterprise are also catered for and their voices are always heard
0: Mm. wow i hope from just that answer you are thinking in your doctorate to put this model together for us (laughs) because i think it will (laughs) contribute a lot So let's move on quickly. You already mentioned a bit around coaching and spoke a bit about executive coaching. And you spoke about when we talk about collective leadership, we must consider team coaching as an option. So would you like to just share, you know, in terms of really on a broader scale, let's entertain the conversation around how do you see coaching contribute to leadership with this model that you've kind of created. What do you think then will be the role of coaching and um, how can then coaching help to continue to develop leaders?
1: I think coaching in the African leadership style and context is absolutely critical. And it actually comes from two specific sources. So if we go back to those three institutional forms of checks and balances on the leader and the leader's power, but also those three institutional sources of support for the leader. Two of them are actually coaching relationships. So the Council of Elders are there to provide the wisdom of not just this generation, but previous generations and the ancestors, because we know in the African context, the ancestors still exert a lot of influence in who we are and how we show up and how we evolve. So the Council of Elders are there as a group of coaches to the leader. And then I've already spoke about the institutional role of queen mother, whether that is the biological mother of the, the leader or another person who has been put in that institutional role. This is the most trusted and closest advisor to the leader. And she, cause it tends to be a woman exercises the role of the most trusted coach ...of the leader because this is the person that in moments of doubt the leader can go to. And this is the person who has the courage to tell the leader the most unpalatable things about what the leader may or may not be doing. And also to point out the blind spots to the leader. And because these two sources of coaching tend to have the um, benefit of experience, vast experience they tend to play the role also of mentor. So in the African leadership style and in the African leadership context, I think these are two sources of coaching that we can think about as we think about modern organizations in different contexts. Like where can we find these sources of coaching? So the way we tend to do coaching currently is we have external coaches. And there's there's a benefit to having external coaches Um, but I think one of the things that external coaches might miss is some of the more nuanced wisdom that comes from deeply understanding the context. So where can we find in our organizations individuals or a group of individuals who can play the role of group coach? So if nothing else, they can show up as a team of coaches that can support some of our more senior leaders. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's a combination there of how we work on that whole individual leadership and, and collective leadership and bringing back the balance. We're about to wrap up now and I'm just feeling like we're getting to the meat (laughs) of this conversation. Look, we have a lot of HR leaders listening to this podcast today. And one of the challenges that's coming up over and over again, and you've already mentioned it earlier on around succession planning. As an expert in leadership and talent management, how can organization better prepare for succession planning um, if we're learning from an African context as well?
1: Yeah, so I think the the one thing that we could do a better job of as organizations is figure out what is the likely tenure of our senior leaders. Because we tend to go into these relationships with senior leaders where the assumption is that they will continue for a relatively long period of time. But what if we could use data to give us a better sense of how long a particular C-suite person would last? And I think the data could also help us to understand the difference between those who are homegrown, so folks who we've actually promoted from within, and those who we hire from outside. Because I, I sense, I haven't done the research, but I sense that the research might show us that the tenure is different. And my assumption or my hypothesis going in would be that if we bring in people from the outside, they're more likely to stay in the seats for a, a shorter period of time then if these folks are homegrown. So once we have a sense of how long people tend to be enrolled, then I think we can bring in the talent management practices that allow us to identify potential successors and get the collective leadership behind the notion of preparing potential successors, but also recognizing that the succession planning also has some psychological aspects that we must cater for. And these psychological aspects make it difficult to do succession planning. Well, for example, when you start talking succession to a particular executive or a person in a critical role, you are introducing the notion of professional death to them. What do I mean by that? You're more or less saying to them, you're in this role today But there will come a day when you will be no more in this role. So psychologically, without meaning to, we're triggering this notion of, wait a second, I don't want my tenure in this role to die. I want to continue. Right. So if we do succession planning with this psychological notion in mind, we might then begin to think about how can we help this particular leader come to grips and grasp that Even if this role ends, there will be future opportunities. And how can we more concretely show this particular leader how the organization is going to utilize their talent when they're no longer in this particular role? And then the last thing to to share on succession planning then is to say, okay, if you also are more transparent which I do recommend, and most organizations tend to not be transparent about succession planning. If you're more transparent and you let certain individuals know, so for example, in a context where you might have three potential successors to the chief operating officer in your organization, once you've finally selected who that person is out of the three, there's a high risk that you're probably going to lose the other two. So how do you prepare For that possibility? What can we put in place to make sure that those who don't win in the succession race still see that they have a future in our organization? These are absolutely critical things that we most times don't address because they tend to be psychological. And therefore, it's hard for us as HR to, first of all, think about how to quantify and talk about this. But these, in my experience, are absolutely critical.
0: This is this is this is good stuff. This is good stuff. So, as we wrap up our show, as I've already said that we will share future predictions. Imagine it's 2030, 2040, whatever that looks like. What is the future of leaderships? What are your predictions about the future of leadership in Africa and leadership in general?
1: So, first prediction is I believe Africa's participation in the advanced technologies that we're seeing in the West and we're not quite seeing yet in Africa is going to weigh in on the types of leaders that we see and what they'll be doing in Africa. So specifically, I believe leaders who are very versed in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all the related technologies will come on stream in Africa as well. And then second prediction, I believe that African youth especially are going to be one of the key demographics that are driving the adoption of cutting edge technology and some of the things that we're starting to see become mainstream. So if you look at blockchain, for example, and cryptocurrency specifically, you might be surprised to see that there are African countries that are actually in the top 10 adopters of crypto. So I think we will see this happen in Africa.
0: Wow, we've heard your predictions. Watch the space, Dada Terence Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. It has been an honor and a privilege to share this moment with you. Thank you, thank you,
1: Mayor Wendy Galibora, thank you so much. It was a privilege and a pleasure to spend this time with you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Terence Taylor and found it as meaningful and insightful as I have. If you like what you've heard and want to explore more, head on over to coachhub.com to learn how we democratize coaching across all career levels. Thanks everyone for listening. Please join me next time as I speak with marketing guru Brenda Banz. She's the author of 11 award-winning books on leadership, coaching, and branding. Her latest book, The Forgotten Choice, will be the center of our conversation. What is the forgotten choice? How do we shift our inner mindset? You don't want to miss out. Until next time, from everyone from Coach Hub Studios, have a wonderful
1: day.